Hello, creative friends. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Living Creatively with your host, Monica Parks. And Angela Dalton. This is the podcast where we discuss topics about finding, nurturing, and protecting your creativity and creative spirit. Mm-hmm. All right. So listen, guys, it is the holiday season and we are on break spending time with family, getting those creative juices flowing, and we decided to do a flashback. So for season eight, we are flashing back to our favorite episodes of all of our past seasons. So sit back, pull out the popcorn, grab a glass of wine, and join us on this journey back to some great episodes that we have had in our past seasons. It is time to reset, and we hope you'll join us. See you soon. friends and welcome to another episode of living creatively where we discuss topics around creativity and how to protect that creative energy we are your host monica parks and angela dalton and today we have a very special guest joining us we do oh so excited as you all know we talk a lot about not only our creative journeys but also how we are reinventing ourselves creatively whether that be through our work or our Mm -hmm. personal interests whatever that is so we are so excited today. Um, yes, yes. Joining, <laughs> joining <laughs> us from Minneapolis, Minnesota, <laughs> is a woman who I've watched make one amazing creative life transition to another and has built and continues to build just such a unique brand that, you know, just makes you feel like you are seen, that you are loved every time she shares her wisdom. So I am so excited to be welcoming our guest today. Hairstylist, historian, and activist, storyteller, and bridge builder, and illuminator of any room that she walks into, Mahogany Plows. Oh my! Oh my goodness! It doesn't matter how many times I hear that. I'm just gonna love it forever. Thank you so much. So excited to be here. Yes, it is. (laughs) We are so excited. Thank you for coming on the show. Again, you know, like I said, I'm I'm excited for you to share your journey with our listeners because you have gone through all of these transformations, which, you know, to some degree is is kind of part of your job, like helping Mm -hmm. people like Mm -hmm. reinvent themselves, how they see themselves Mm -hmm. physically. So to see you take that and like apply it to your own life, I'm just excited for others to hear how you've done that. And, um, and, and so they can maybe, you know, I know a lot of our listeners creatively struggle with how do you do that? Yeah. And so I'm like, both Monica and I were just like mahogany. She, yep. she's going to mm-hmm. be great. Yep. So before we jump into it, mahogany, we'd love for you to tell our listeners about yourself and your background as a stylist and hair historian. I'm excited mm-hmm. about that. <laughs> well, well, seriously, Thank you so much for having me on. This is like such a cool opportunity to have this type of conversation. This is not your average conversation, right? So like, I'm so excited to be a part of it. Um, My background, let's see, grew up here in Minneapolis. um, But what was interesting is like, so I'm 44, right? And that means that my, my, you know, back in the day, so my mother is a six foot tall Scandinavian lady from Northern Minnesota. And I'm talking like a seven hundred, a town of 700 people. So yeah. Right. Like 30 miles south of Canada. Right. So she moves to the big city and marries my father and they have me. And my poor mom was like, 
what do I do with this child's hair? Right? Like, I don't know. And this was like the late seventies. So there weren't a lot of, there, there wasn't the internet for education. Right. Mm-hmm. There was, you had to like get word of mouth. You had to get recommendations. And so, um, I spent a lot of my childhood in salons, whether they were friends salons of my mom's or they were like, um, one of her best friends was actually an educator at the Aveda Institute. And so I got my hair relaxed as a Mm. model on the regular, uh, which was cool because then my mom didn't have to pay for it. But what wasn't cool was like, I was a little kid and my hair was getting relaxed regularly. So that really started me thinking that I only was cute if my hair was straight. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. and so as I started getting older and I started like getting into different, you know, just different music, different, different aspects of life. I started braiding my hair more often. I learned how to braid my own hair, which was cool. I'm still not great at it, but you know, (laughs) um, (laughs) it's sometimes it's easier than like, you know, going out and getting it done. Um, especially during a pandemic, but what really, (laughs) but what brought me to the salon industry was that I really just liked I liked being in salons and I liked seeing people walk in one way and walk out another. And a lot of times they would walk in with like a sluggish step, but when they would leave, it would be like positive and feeling themselves and like feeling excited to go out and like do something cool, whether it was an event or just like a regular, um, a regular appointment. So becoming a hairdresser kind of started off as like me wanting to learn about my own hair, but really it ended up being something that I realized that like, I had good ideas. I did not, however, have the talent right away. Like I had to work on that okay. a lot. I had <laughs> to work on that, that a lot. What do you mean um, by that? So when I started, when I was in beauty school, um, one of the things that I thought was super interesting was that all of our mannequin heads had straight hair. Mm-hmm. Um, where the beauty school that I went to, we probably had like 30% of our student population was black. And probably a similar population of the people that were coming in to our school were also like kinky, coily, you know, curly hair. So Mm -hmm. me and the rest of the black girls had a lot of practice on like smoothing out hair, bump air irons and presses and relaxers. But one of the things that we like we really struggled with was that we couldn't practice that on a mannequin head. We had to practice that on people. And let me tell you. Sisters out there are not mm. cool with you practicing unless you oh, really know. No. Like, oh, it doesn't no. matter what color you are. <laughs> They're like, you don't mm. get to practice on me. I'm not that. So um, it kind of started me thinking about, like, the discrepancies with, like, education for, like, Black students and non-Black students. And mm. as I became a hairdresser, I found myself, like, really looking at ways that I could get better education, which ended up putting me in salons that were predominantly white which mm-hmm. was cool. Like I worked at Moxie Hair Salon here in Minneapolis. It was dope. I, I had a great time. And I learned how to cut and color all different types and textures of hair simply based on the folks who were in that salon. So that was really a cool piece for me because again, like I wasn't good. I was used to dealing with my own hair and curly hair made sense to me. But then I remember my very first haircut was on my sweet mama. And like I said, she's six foot tall Scandinavian lady. Her hair is silky and fine and straight. And so I jacked it up. It was awful. I made so many mistakes in that first year. But what was awesome about it was that it really helped me understand that, like, 
people are way cooler if you are kind and thoughtful and talk about mm-hmm. like, okay, so this is not what you were looking for. What's not, what, what do we want to do next time? So that really helped me develop thick skin and also mm-hmm. a problem solving attitude. Like I will always solve your problems. Like that's what I'm going to do. And mm-hmm. so that has really kind of been my, my driving force as a hairdresser is like, I consider myself somebody who can solve your problem. Is your hair too long? Let's cut it. If it's too light, mm-hmm. let's make it darker. If it's not mm-hmm. curly enough, let's show you how to work with an iron. Like let's braid it up. Let's do it. Let's make you feel like your best self. So mm-hmm. that's, that's essentially who I am and what I do. <laughs> nice. I love how you were saying how just being truly transparent and saying how you in the beginning, I wasn't good at this, but mm-hmm. you knew that this was something that you really enjoyed. And that's one of the things that, you know, a lot of our listeners, they are trying to find and pursue their creative calling. And I know instead of not just being a stylist, are there any other hobbies or other creative pursuits that you have as well? Um, well, I mean, <laughs> So I was actually, before this, I took a shower and I was like singing in the shower, right? Okay. Like just singing away in the shower. Mm-hmm. And it has always been a dream of mine. In fact, I was just talking to my kids about this the other day. I was like, you know, your mama didn't always want to be a hairdresser. At one point I was like, I should be an actor and a singer and a dancer. <laughs> I wanted to be in fame. Wow. You know, like that's wow. what I really wanted I can to see be. that. Yeah. I can see that. Yes. I just wanted to go to the fame school and like be in, like, I just wanted to be on stages and do that and work with other people and create fun. Um, and, and I was in school for a lot of that. I did a lot of that, a lot of that stuff in, in high school and it was really fun. And I actually come from a fairly like musically talented family. I'm probably the least talented and I'm all right still like, and I still love it. And I think that that's the thing that being creative has kind of helped me understand is it's like, I don't have to be Mariah Carey, right? I don't have right. to be Beyonce. Mm-hmm. I can mm-hmm. still sing my songs in my, in my shower. And I was laughing because I was totally singing the Indigo Girls. And I was like, people will revoke my black card for loving the Indigo Girls. Let me tell you. Like, they just will. They'll be like, yank. And you're like, but come on. Some of that coming of age music is good for all of us. And yep. We need to sort through those things as young black women. If yep. we're all going to be honest, we all got it Indigo you know, girls song. Look. Mine would be Cockatoo Twins. I mean, we all. We oh, all I love Cockatoo secret. Twins. Look, I mean, I yeah. This moment. <laughs> I'm like, I love Cockatoo Twins. What? <laughs> I was like, don't yeah, make me fight it. you. <laughs> right. I'm like, is that, is there, we're supposed to be shamed of that? Wait a minute. I didn't know. <laughs> mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. There is some music that just transcends. I'm sorry. Yes, it it just does. I grew up on Bon Jovi. And <laughs> yes. Right. Look. Had the biggest crush on Richie Sambora. Look, everybody was going for John Bon Jovi. I was like, you know what? I'll take him. Thank you, Monica. Thank you. All of my girlfriends had like a thing for John Bon Jovi. I was like, yep. Ew. Yep. Why though? Especially yep. when you've got the real talent right next to him playing his guitar right. and like singing all them harmonies. Right. I'm with you. Yeah. Look, Journey. I, Journey. Oh my gosh. Journey. Look. Duran oh, Duran. I'm Man, sorry. What? Love Duran, all day. Duran. Oh, don't day. make me get on get on a playlist and get my and I, Spotify playlist right. going this week. <laughs> and can't pick one out of Duran Duran. I'm sorry. Right. Like interchangeable. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah, gotta. Okay. I love I love the truth that is being yes. shared today. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> you know, because I think that that's one of the best things that I've really 
like really started to understand again in that creativity space is like recognizing that like not all black folks like the same things and like not all black folks like one kind of thing. Like I remember in high school, this kid Cedric asked me, he's like, Mahogany, why don't you date white dudes? And I was like, do you like the band Fishbone? He was like, who's Fishbone? I was like, there you go. Mm -hmm. Uh, like there it is <laughs> baby if you wanted to go to a fishbone show with me i would take you to a fishbone show because you are fine and you are smart and you are kind and i would totally date you right but y'all don't want to go to the things that i like to go to and i'm not gonna change right. myself just so that i can get me a man that looked like you and he right. was like respect and i was like thank you <laughs> thank you and he's like what's this fishbone and i played it for him and he was like i played party at ground zero he was like nope and I was like, fair enough. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. That is, I'm like, all of a sudden, I'm like 16 again. I'm <laughs> <laughs> this is what's happening because I listen to the Indigo Girls. That's, that's what it happened. I love it. Oh. Well, okay. So you did say one thing that I wanted to kind of circle back on. And that was, you were talking about, you were telling your kids mm-hmm. about your, your love for for singing and that there was other things you wanted to do. And so, you know, I know this is a big thing for a lot of our listeners also Mm -hmm, is, mm -hmm. you know, we talk about protecting our creativity and, um, and how that can be really hard when you're juggling life, right? Especially Mm -hmm. familyhood Mm -hmm. and, and work. And so we were wondering, how do you balance all of these things in your life while still pursuing the things that you love to do? I don't know that I do balance them. Um, Mm -hmm. I feel like I find a rhythm. So, um, along with all of this other, like along with my creative work and like wishing I could be in plays and singing songs, um, (laughs) which you still can is not too late. I was like, you know what? Let me get into this like community theater. Once the pandemic is done, like, let me get into this. You never know. I might show up on a stage playing Miss Hannigan. Um, (laughs) right. You just don't know. You just don't know. Um, But I think that as far as like balance, I feel like balance has always been something that's really been hard for me to like understand or attain other than like, you know, standing on something and balancing on it. Right. Or like holding, you know, when I was a server, I would balance plates, but like the idea of like balancing my life just has never, I've never really been able to connect those two things together. So it's like a rhythm. So, um, I, I read a lot, I do, I read a lot of tarot cards and During one of my stints with tarot cards early in life, um, my mom gave me these, these animal cards that are actually like in the tarot, right? Like they're, they're the tarot cards, but they're represented by animals, which I, which that really, that made sense to me because these animals have these amazing personalities. And so when I went through one of my reads and it just kept coming up, it kept coming up and it was this, uh, it was the bear card and everybody calls me mama bear. I've been, a little, I love my, I love bears. They're like my favorite animal. I'm such a nerd. But <laughs> when I read about the card, it really talked about like why bears go into hibernation and how they follow these like inner cycles and how they really look at like, like what they need and what they need to survive, what they need to um, be what they need to, in order to be successful. So a lot of times they hibernate through the winter, they give birth in the spring, they spend spring and summer, like joyfully celebrating. And then they start in fall, start to kind of go back into that, into that, like, um, foraging and, and, and collecting things that they need in order to go back into hibernation. And so when I look at like how I put my work together and how I kind of create sort of the, the, 
balance or rhythm of my life, a lot of times I'll go really quiet during the winter time, um, mm-hmm. simply because that's like my time for with my family. A lot of times I focus on holidays because we start in September, right, with Oliver's birthday, but then it's like September, Oliver, there's a birthday in October, there's Thanksgiving, then there's like Christmas and Hanukkah, plus then we got the new year, plus then my birthday, then baby boy's birthday. It's like, we don't <laughs> stop, right? So like, I don't right. have time for much. But what's awesome about not having time for much outside of that is that like my ideas start to flow. Like because I'm quiet, because I'm not doing a lot, like I start to get my ideas and I start to like really organize them into these like little skeletons and then start to put like the meat on them and like the, you know, really kind of create and craft a little bit more of my ideas so that when I do get them, like when spring comes, I can like give birth to them out in the world. Right. And like Mm -hmm. spend spring and summer, enjoying them, celebrating them, inviting people to them, growing things with them. And then back in fall, I start to do my research again. And I start to get like more books and start to get more things together. And then back into my quiet, my quiet space for winter. And I've only been doing this for a few years now, but like, it really has helped me because I am a people please. I mean, let me rephrase that. I'm not a people pleaser. I am a recovering people pleaser. And if I didn't, right, like if I didn't have that recovery piece, like I would definitely just be constantly on that, like, I got to do up here for everybody and mama always comes last. So, yeah. Mm. So it really is that. That is a struggle. And I love hearing about how you have like kind of this restorative time. And I think that's something that we forget, right? Because you get so caught up in like, this has to happen, this has to happen, this has to, mm-hmm. has to happen. And it becomes like, a, a, it just becomes such a life hamster wheel. Mm-hmm. And, and then we also sit in it thinking that we can't stop it. But mm-hmm. what I love about what you said is like, no, we can make the choice to stop and when to stop and how we need to stop and mm-hmm. restore ourselves. So that when we do have that time, we're rejuvenated and ready to like... Knock mm-hmm. it out, figure it out what it is. I love that. That's, that's yeah. great. I love the fact that it was your honesty. And when she, when Angela asked you about the balance between work and, and family, and you were like, I, I don't know if I do. Mm-hmm. Like, I, mm-hmm. I, you know, it's, yeah. it's because that's honest. Like, I think that there's so many people who, when you see these people, they're like, oh my gosh, she has this career and she does this and she's got the kids and she's handling things. And, and it's like they are, they're thinking as if they're doing something less than because they're not able to do it all. But if you would sit down and be able to talk to people, they're like, look, I'm, I'm trying to figure it out myself, which is why I also love the way that you described it as a rhythm yeah. and how you have a rhythm. And I think that that to me is more realistic because rhythm changes rhythms adapt according to the environment and according to what all is invi- what all is involved in that situation and it gives you freedom to be able to be a little bit more kinder on yourself and what you can do from moment to moment but also yes. being able to be open to change from moment to moment just being able to do whatever is working in that moment for you your family and whatever your creative thing or your work thing is in that moment but being open to saying okay that worked now doesn't work now this time Let's Let's do another rhythm that works. And I just love that because it's and very creative too, very poetic mm-hmm. and creative way of being able to look at it. But I, I love that. That's the way that you describe that. Thank you. I mean, and I, I have a, I have a business coach um, who is like 
just, she is that person. Her name is Nina Kovner. She's in Passion Squared. She's just this like light of happiness. And she's the one who really helped me like name that. Um, because I, because mm-hmm. we were talking about balance one day, I was like, I don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. I don't understand balance. Mm-hmm. And she was like, let's think about it like this. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yes. Like that. Like, like it's a rhythm. And I, but I mm-hmm. love Monica, what you said about like the rhythm can change because mm-hmm. I feel like, especially in a creative process, like when I get a new idea, I will think of it. I will be so excited about it for like 24 hours. And then inevitably I start to think of all of the things Mm -hmm. that are going to go wrong with it. Like why it won't work. Who Mm -hmm. won't like it? Somebody already did it. Market Mm -hmm. is saturated. Da, 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 da. Like, right. (laughs) I just like kill my own. You sing right. the shower, you giving all the things that you think is going to go wrong. Marcus, I think we're the same person. Seriously though, right? Because you know you can see all those things and they're just like, oh, well, that's not going to go well. That's not going to go well. That's not right. going to go well. That's not going to go well. And my husband's like, have you even given yourself a moment to think about your thought? Right. I was like, shut up though. Right. <laughs> Ain't nobody trying to the, hear you. The thought sitting there like, the thought like, you didn't even give me a chance to live. You ready to kill me already? I just got here. <laughs> Dang. Okay. And now, Monica, now, if you have other friends who are doing that, don't you call them out too? Like, you know, you need to give that, that thought a chance. What's wrong with you? Right. Right. And I know right. Monica's like looking at me. She's like, yeah, I got that friend. I know yep. that friend. <laughs> I do. I'm not going to say nothing, but you know, they say a hit dog will holler, but. <laughs> oh, there have been so many times well, that Monica has exposed me on this podcast. And I was like, this was not what this was supposed to be. <laughs> the best stuff never is. <laughs> but I always well, what... appreciate it. I appreciate it. I love it. That's I love awesome. it. And you know, another thing I love is I love the fact that um, when you were talking about your tarot cards, you were saying how it had the animals on them and how animals go through different um, seasons of hibernation, gathering, and it's like um, seasons have different things that happen. And it reminds me of transformation. And that's one of the things that um, we really like to talk about because I think that we are both in a position right now where that we are transitioning and transforming into different okay. levels of our creativity in this current season. And I know that you like to share a lot about your personal growth on social, you know, about being an activist, issues about black hair education. Um, could you tell us a little bit about that journey? Like, you know, are you thinking about that when you're building your brand? Do you keep these things in mind? Like what helps you or inspires you to continue to build it? That's a really excellent question. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, growing up in Minnesota and, and being in a predominantly white environment, there were so many things that happened in my life. And I grew up with my white mom. So like, there were so many, there were so many places that I was cut off from, from black people, even just to my neighborhood until I got mm. into junior high and high school. Um, cause mm. I was like a nerd too. So I was like in all the classes with like white kids, a couple Asian kids, and like inevitably like the, the, the kid who, um, the kid who like tests off the chart. So it's like all of us. And, mm-hmm. and so when I got into, into high school and junior high and high school and started recognizing that there was like much more disparity than I, I had ever really recognized previously, like I started to feel some type of way about it. 
And then by the time I was in a senior in high school, I realized I had never had a black teacher other than my second grade teacher. And like all of these disparities started to really bother me. Like, Mm -hmm. why? Like, I know some smart people. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. understand why so-and-so doesn't do this. And how that started to really work with me in, in, in the industry was I started realizing that there were so many, let me rephrase that. There were so few mm-hmm. platform artists and educators that look like me that like mm-hmm. when I did meet one, like I ran up on this woman, LaDonna Dreyer. I still don't know how, why she loves me this way because like mm-hmm. I ran up on her like a crazy person, <laughs> like, like a nut job. Like I was meeting Beyonce. Like I was like, hi, hi, I'm Mahogany. And she's like, oh, you're Mahogany from Fargo. And I was like, first of all, I am not from Fargo. I just, y'all, yes, I, you met me at the Fargo show. I'm so sorry. I'm, yeah, um, yes. But when I realized that there was, like, there's so much talent, there's so much ex- experience, there's so much expertise, um, especially when you go into like the salons and nail shops and barber shops in the hood and you see how these women be running their business. I was like, yeah. why are we not tapping into yeah. this? Why are we not highlighting these things? Mm-hmm. And so during my career, I found myself to be one of the only black platform artists in my at, at a show. And mm-hmm. so then I would mm-hmm. have like the seven to 10 black artists that would come up to me and be like, Mahogany, can we talk? Can we talk? And I found myself in this position that I realized I could continue to just like be somebody that they looked up to, or I could actually like do something to like make sure that there was space for them when they came out of mm-hmm. school, when they, mm-hmm. when they decided they wanted to do education, when they mm-hmm. wanted to like be the platform artist. And then with the, like the big boom of social media, it really, it started off again, like really self-focused, like, look at me and look at all the good hair I do. And look at all this, look at my cute kids and look at my, you know, um, look at my life. Your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was going to say like, it's your life that you're exposing. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then I started getting these messages from folks that were like, you, like you were saying, like, you got it all together. You're doing this whole thing. And I was like, Oh no, I am just like praying, mm-hmm. throwing up my <laughs> throwing up my crossed fingers and being like, here we go. Um, <laughs> but when it came down, when it comes down to it, I realized that like it was more important for me to like move move space around in order to like make the beauty industry a more welcoming place for black and brown stylists and barbers. Mm-hmm. Um And probably it really, like, really hit after last summer with the murder of George Floyd. That really, Mm -hmm. like, because the industry actually was like, oh, there are amazingly talented Black folks out here doing hair. Mm -hmm. And we've just never paid attention to them before. And I was Mm -hmm. like, yeah, yep, yep. So then uh, people were like, Mahogany, we need you for this. Mahogany, we need you for that. Mahogany, we need you for this. Mahogany, we need you for that. And that was cool. But what was more awesome was when they were like, hey, Mahogany, who else would you like to bring with you? Like, hey, Mahogany, mm. who, who, if you can't be there for this thing, who do you recommend? And when they oh, started wow. doing that, I was like, wait a minute. Let me talk about Regine. Let me talk about Angelica. Hang on a second. Let me get to Christine, Nike. Yeah, we got to get mm-hmm. all these girls up in here because these girls are incredibly talented, but they didn't have, they weren't as... um uh, white friendly, I guess, is myself in that moment. And people didn't recognize. But then once they started seeing 
just incredibly, like how incredibly talented they are, incredibly brilliant they are. They were like, oh, Mahogany, we didn't know. And I was like, I know you didn't know. And now I'm happy that you do know. And it's been, it's been tough to have those conversations with people. Um, The beauty business is, is, is highly segregated um, Mm -hmm. for a lot of reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, But what I'm starting to see is I'm starting to see major brands and major Mm -hmm. industry magazines like focusing on that education and really Mm -hmm. starting to highlight black and brown artists and not just like, Hey, get on here and do me a cool haircut. Um, But like looking at how they run businesses, how they run their, how they build their brands and, and really recognizing that there's so much more again, not a monolith here. Like we have all of the talents the same way everybody else does. And so it's been really I mean, there have definitely been days where I wanted to rip my hair out, um, mm-hmm. like individually, mm-hmm. like, like take and just like individually pull, pull every single hair out of my head because I'm so frustrated yeah. with the lack of movement. But when then I take a turn and I look back at where we started from and like where we are now, I see that transformation has been really, it's bigger than I thought it was. Um, and I hope to continue to be a part of how we make it bigger until it's like not even a thing anymore. Yeah. I don't know if that's possible. I don't know if that's in my lifetime. Hopefully it's right. in my children's lifetime, but like mm-hmm. I but think I that think piece with, has been hard. But I think with the work that you're doing and it's so important and I'm so glad I want I want to hear a little bit more about the hair historian piece of your journey, but you know, I it's so important because we're seeing those stories out in the world about these <laughs> children, these babies who are being forced to cut their dreadlocks because people don't understand the history yeah. of the dreadlock being forced to take out cor- boys being forced to take out cornrows because there's no education and understanding about the history and, and the symbolism of mm-hmm. that for black people. And it's heartbreaking. Cause it's, again, this is happening to babies. Like let's not right. even like that. doesn't even touch the surface about how black people can't even get hired for jobs, how that's been used as a weapon be- against them. So, right. I want to hear a little bit more about that piece of what you're doing, because I just feel like, like you said, it might not happen in your lifetime, in our lifetime, Mm -hmm. but I'm so happy that you are out there talking about this, educating people, because that people don't understand the connection between our hair, black hair, and our lives, and how the loss of, there has been so much loss of life because of our hair. Yes. No, I mean, that that piece is really, um, so some of the ways that like creating space for like more black people, especially within the organizations that I, I spend time in, in, in the, in the industry, we're big on education. Right. And so like, sometimes I think when people don't understand like the history of something they don't mm-hmm. get why it's a big deal. Like mahogany, why is it a big deal? Mm-hmm. If I want to get cornrows when I go to Mexico, let me get cornrows when I right. go to Mexico. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, but like, let's go back. Like, let's talk about, and like, let's talk about not only like what those styles meant as like forms of communication within tribes with like, with, with like between tribes, like some of those huge, huge like styles we're meant so that like when you're traveling from your tribe to another tribe, somebody can see you and recognize that you are a person 
who means them no harm because they already have that established relationship, right? That nonverbal communication kept the peace in a lot of beautiful ways, or it let within tribes, it let folks know like what your status was, like, like where you were, were like, and and some of it is highly misogynistic, but like, we're just going like, let other cultures be other cultures in some places, you know what I mean? But like, if this girl's hair is braided in a basket, that means she's not ready to get married. She hasn't, you know, like seen her, she hasn't received her, you know, her, her, uh, her, her gift, you know, like, that's what my mama called it. That what is like, your gift. And I was like, mm, okay. oh, can I return it? I want to they changed it. her name. I don't like it. Um, but like, so those things, when you, when, when people hear about the history behind something and the purpose mm-hmm. behind it, a lot of times, and obviously not all times, but like a lot of times they're like, oh, well, shoot, I don't want to, I'm not trying to, I just thought it would be cute. Like, I just thought it was right. a hairstyle, not a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. has been huge. And, and I think that like, again, having these, ex- these examples of like, you know, kids having to, you know, cut their hair or being sent home from school. And like, that's why we have something like the crown act. Like the fact that like the fact that there is legislation Please in save. place to right. save our hair like, yes. come on now. That yeah. is crazy. But also, I'm super happy about it. Because, right. like, should we need legislation to just, like, let our hair naturally grow out of our heads the way that it does? No. 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 <laughs> but I'm grateful that we're trying to protect it because that <laughs> right. is important. I remember yeah. I went to a store when I was 17 and I applied for a job in a mall store. We won't tell about them because that I don't I don't know what their business is now. But <laughs> I applied for the store and I promise you, like I was built to be a professional person like that. Like I my mom was real serious about how I spoke, how I present mm-hmm. myself. I am confident, always have been, always will be. And I walked in with my little resume with my little sport jacket on. And I was like, I would like to be an associate. I had a resume. (laughs) She interviewed me quickly for like a hot second and then was like, so is this like a look that you always have? Because I had my hair braided and I, and it was in a bun. It was in a, I mean, not even this, like it was in a bun. I was so cute. And and I was like, yep, this is how I wear my hair pretty regularly. And she's like, it's just so ethnic. And I was like, 16. So while I was mature and I was smart and I knew what's what, I also knew that like I didn't have something nice to say to her after she said that to me. So I just was like, thank you so much. And I left because I was scared. Like I was scared that I was going to be rude, one. And Mm -hmm. two, I didn't know what to say. Like who tells somebody their hair is ethnic? That is Mm -hmm. weird. That's a weird Mm -hmm. thing to say. And Mm -hmm. so... I just, I always, I always thought that was a a very strange thing to say, a very Mm -hmm. strange way to put things. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was like a big part of why, again, like, I think that like the hair industry, because it's so creative and because when you get that license, you can literally do anything you want, Mm -hmm. like anything you can own a salon, you can become, I mean, I have a friend who has an Emmy because with a hair, because he's a hairdresser. Right. Mm-hmm, and then like, mm-hmm. Nookie Tao, you got an Emmy with mm-hmm. for hair. That's incredible. Right. Um, like, so there's so but you can do so many things with this industry. And for the industry to not be for it to be so open and so welcoming and to have so many people who populate it, 
you know, so many women, so many people of color, so many LGBTQ plus who mm-hmm. populate it to have it not be inclusive as far as like who runs it was just mm-hmm. mind boggling to me. So mm-hmm. there's, that's kind of how I keep moving in the industry, I guess. Mm-hmm. I love that. I'm so glad you're there because we need you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we need you. Seriously. Well, because I remember, because again, I'm also from Minneapolis and I remember like a couple years ago, there was a huge news story because a black woman had just moved to Minneapolis, gone to a salon. The white stylist said that they knew how to do her hair no. and didn't. No. In fact, it was so bad that that young woman literally i actually had friends who were who called me and was like can you help this girl out because this is what happened to her and i was like uh-huh. what needless to say she got her blowout right but we also sat down myself and i think there was like five or six other black um stylists we sat down we had a round table and we invited all minneapolis stylists to show up and say like here's the thing it's okay if you don't know how to do this because I recognize that our beauty schools aren't necessarily showing you like the ways to do right. these things. But like, there's also mm-hmm. a way to speak to a human being because the we've all been denied service before. I've been denied right. service multiple times. I like to. I actually yeah, walked, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like <laughs> I walked into a salon once and I was buying product for my mama. And mm-hmm. this woman was like, hi, can I help you? <laughs> I was like, and she just looked afraid she looked afraid and I was like yeah I'm actually looking for some product maybe you can help me and she was like I don't know that we have anything really for your hair and I was like mm-hmm. it wasn't actually for me it was for my mom who's white but now you really don't have anything for me so I gotta go right Bye. um right so many stories like that right, right? yeah oh so many mm-hmm. yeah and the egregious part of the whole situation with, with that woman um, in the salon here was that she had been there before, but she had had a relaxer. And with her grow out, she, had, she was getting her hair done. Um, she had gone natural. She'd done a big chop and she wanted it blown out. And she even called like every black girl has ever called a salon yep. that mm-hmm. isn't run by a black girl. Like, listen, mm-hmm. I got a lot of hair. Mm-hmm. It's going to take extra time. We try to gonna, warn you. Right? Mm-hmm. We, we try to warn you. <laughs> yes. And then, so she did her due diligence and was still done mm-hmm. wrong. And it wasn't even like the stylist brought her back to the chair. And this is like my world, right? Like, this is my world. Like, I have definitely had to say no to people for things. But mm-hmm. like, you don't make it their problem, first of all. And you always give them the service. Like, you have that time. So you have time to explain mm-hmm why you can't do it, what we can do today. Here's some products mm-hmm. because I'm so sorry we weren't able to help you um, today. But she was like met at the front door. The stylist put his hands in her hair, like straight out the gate, like in the front of the whole salon, in front of like the whole Mm-mm. waiting area mm-hmm. and told her her hair was an animal he couldn't tame. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow. Whoo! so it's like language on top of mm-hmm. skill set. And right. like understanding culture, like there's a mm-hmm. lot to learn there. There's a lot to mm-hmm. learn. Yeah. Wow. I get real heated about that Ooh, one no. in particular. Look, <laughs> I get heated too. No, I, bring look, up the heat. All. People need to hear mm-hmm. that. I was just going to say, I, I, it's giving me anxiety because I, and, and it's, it's, this is the things where people don't understand. There is a quiet struggle that African-Americans go through that they don't, that, that is a daily thing. It's not an exaggerated thing. And people don't understand it because they're not around if you, 
you know, enough African-Americans in their daily life to see these things happen. But Mm -hmm. it's a constant thing. Like even now I am getting ready to fly out and I am having to decide how am I going to stay on style my hair so that it is the least threatening because my hair is looked at as a threat in its full natural state. And I don't want to get frisked. I don't want hands all through my fro. I don't want hands all through my hair that have been on everybody else's bodies and shoes as they search to see whatever is in. So I'm trying to think of, do I put it in a tight bun? Do I put it in a low bun? I'm like, oh, I can't wear a head wrap because they're going to think something's like to have to go through that before you take a flight because you can't wear your hair the way you really want to. Mm-hmm. And which is out because I have very thick and long hair. So I know I can't wear it out. And I want to be cute getting on the plane, getting off the plane. But I can't do that because I'm going to get pulled. Asleep. And so mm-hmm. I'm just, you know, these are things that I feel like it's good to say. It's good to talk about and have that platform of being able to to discuss all these different things. So I am. I'm glad that, you know, you have the platform of being a historian who's also telling the different stories of what braids are and what what they're meant for and how they're used as a part of identifying for different lifestyles, different tribes and that kind of thing. Because that's how some people are going to be able to know is by exposure. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. We actually did. um, So I am a consultant for Paul Mitchell and we did this really amazing training at the beginning of February Um, all black educators doing all of the teaching, which Mm -hmm. that was another piece of it. It was like, cool, cool, cool. Everybody wants to learn how to do the hair, but like learn it from black folks, right? Like just learn it from black folks in this moment. Okay. Like I hear you. Yes. You may have all these skill sets, but there's like fine tuned things that like when you have it, you just learn differently. And my piece of it was some natural hairstyling, but my other piece of it that actually really has kind of really gifted me this opportunity to move and, and, and reinvent myself in this way um, was cultural competency. And mm. so myself and my niece have come up with this glossary um, where my niece has done these amazing illustrations and we'll be dropping it next month. I'm so excited. <laughs> She's so good. Yes. Um, <laughs> and like we worked with Paul Mitchell to get this glossary put together um, of natural hair terms. And one of the things that we did when we presented during that, that training was we presented the, the image of, um, of a woman with braids and we, it was, and they were like different colors. So you could really tell that they were like box braids and like, so it was really obvious. And we talked about protective styles because I think that protective, and and we talked about like the myth behind people wearing protective styles is that they don't like their hair, right? Like, she bald. Mm-hmm. She don't like her hair. She, mm-hmm. she don't like, she doesn't like whatever, whatever. It's not long enough. It's not whatever. But we talked about like how actually protective styles are exactly what they're called. They're protective styles. And we paired the idea with like museums and restoration rooms. Right. But so the Minneapolis Institute of Art has like a restoration room underneath the museum where they take pieces of art that will, they'll take it off of the wall. Um, to put it in these light controlled rent, light rent controlled, light controlled, um, and uh, temperature controlled spaces where mm. they're like mm-hmm. hydrated, where they're cleansed, where they're, you know, and they're left to restore. And I was like, mm. that's exactly what a, a protective style is. Like curly, kinky, coily hair is 
delicate. It's not something that can be just like muscled around. I mean, it can be muscled around, but then you lose your edges and you get bald spots and like Mm -hmm. all the things. Um, and, and truly like it's an opportunity for us to put our beautiful artwork away and like restore it, right? Because we're going to hydrate our scalps. We're going to hydrate our hair. We're going to braid it down with the beautiful oils. We're going to keep everything tucked away and protected so that it can restore so that we can get that growth. And then when we put it back on display, it's it's bigger, beautiful, more beautiful and robust than it ever was before. And really that piece was probably the the like my favorite. And we got the most feedback because that really helped a lot of people understand Again, why maybe box braids are not like a great option for you as someone Mm -hmm. who is not black because it's not just a cute style or locks aren't just a cute style. Mm -hmm. I wore locks for 16 years and Monica, I tell you, I feel you when it goes getting on planes. Because I think I got on like 40 some planes that one year. And for the amount of times that people were like, can I put my fingers in your hair? I was like, I just Mm -hmm. need to really quick. And I'd be like, I'm going to need you to not. Like, I'm just going to hold, I'm going to hold on to your wrist real quick. And I recognize that I'm doing this and you're a TSA agent, but like, you can't just put your hands in my head. Right. I'm not cool with that. Can't do that. Right. So Mahogany, if we were going to visualize what your brand looks like fully realized in say like five years, what does that, what does that look like for you? Now that question like that forces me to think, right? Like, cause I do believe in goal setting, but my goals mm-hmm. are always a lot shorter because I'm like, I got to attain this. Like I'm a Capricorn. I got to constantly like have a goal to like, like attain. So okay. um, five years from now, my brand fully realized looks like, like an education slash like industry celebration magazine of like the incredible contributions of not just like black folks, but like all different kinds of people. Um, the others, the marginalized, right? Like in the margins, the folks that are in the margins of any type, because I feel like our contributions to the beauty industry have been a plenty, but we've never really gotten the amount of credit that we um, have deserved. And, and I recognize that when some, Sometimes when people say credit, like it, it, it mm-hmm. feels some type of way, but with the lack of credit people have received, um, mm-hmm. it really looks like equity, equity to me, right? Like it looks like, like how we are seen as just as important and just as, just as, as like tangible and like people that you can look up to people that you can, you can, you can follow and, and be inspired by, but also really like just to see yourself in someone Mm -hmm. who like that you want to look like like somebody that you, right. Like, because Mm -hmm. when I look around and I was really specific about my social media, right? Like I was really, I'm always specific about what I put out, but I started being really specific about what I brought in. And that Mm -hmm. to me was a huge change um, because I had just started following like hairdressers and hairdresser magazines and industry things and da 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 all that good stuff and I found it lacking um mm. there's a couple of good ones out there and not I'm not shaming anybody but mm-hmm. I just found it lacking for what I was looking for mm-hmm. I want to see more people who look like me 
um, you know, as artistic directors. I want to see more people yes. who look like me coming up with ideas that like, that are innovative, that make an impact on people, not just physically, but socially, right? Like that type of thing. So mm-hmm. when I say it looks like an industry magazine that, that, that brings like all of that education and awareness and, and mm-hmm. highlighting um, black and brown folks, what I really think it could be is perhaps there's a consultation piece where we go to different beauty brands, where we go to different like opportunities and really make the big change because I think our industry has a really great way of like moving society in some way because we physically touch people regularly. Mm-hmm. We listen to their stories. We process their process, what's going on in the world together. Um, so many revolutions have started in a salon. Like the conversation starts in a salon. Um, mm-hmm. And if our industry is on board with that, and if we can make more space in the industry for something like that, I think that like we could really do not just like make you look good, but like make you feel good and make you feel like mm-hmm. you're, you belong. And right. I think that's what everybody's looking for. Nice. Oh, I nice. That. I love that oh, too. That's a beautiful, beautiful. Vi- I love oh. it. I love it. So look, Mahogany, why don't you tell us like, where can our listeners, where can they connect with you? Where can they see you? What's your socials? Where are you? Like, how do they find you? Um, so predominantly right now I'm on Instagram and that's at mm-hmm. much love mahogany. Cause that's just mm-hmm. me. Um, but, but I am, I'm starting to get on clubhouse. Um, I've hosted a couple of rooms on clubhouse, um, but specifically and here before I screw up and throw things on the ground, I, I want to make sure that I say the exact title, the way that I, I, that I, we, we created it. Um, so my friend Marcy and I have been talking about like a clubhouse room that we would want to do on a regular basis to have these conversations mm-hmm. so that we can invite so many different kinds of people to them, but it's called conscious beauty, how the beauty industry and social justice are connected. And Ooh. so we like, it's broad enough for us to have that conversation, but it's also mm-hmm. like, like very specific and in some, some really great ways. So yeah, I mean, and on clubhouse, I'm just mahogany plouts. That's my first and last name. Easy, easy. But that's Mm -hmm. usually where you can find me. Mm. Girl, thank you so much for joining us today. It has been, this episode has been a joy, an absolute joy. (laughs) You have dropped some gems. You have educated us. You have, Mm -hmm. you have given us history. You gave us a history today that I didn't know that I needed to hear. So thank you so much for joining us. That concludes this week's episode of Living Creatively with your host, Monica Parks. And Angela Dalton. Remember, you can connect with us on Instagram at Living Creatively Now, the Living Creatively Podcast Facebook page, and on our website, thisislivingcreatively.com to subscribe or to send us questions that you'd like us to answer or advice you may need as a fellow creative. Thank you for joining us and being a part of our Living Creatively community. Always remember to protect your heart, protect your mind, and protect your gift. Bye. Bye. Bye.